It's Monday, October 8th, and this is The Daily Dive. We now have a new Supreme Court justice after a weekend of votes and protests. And while this chapter is over for now, the political divide seems greater than ever. Brett Kavanaugh's first day on the bench will be Tuesday, and in a win for President Trump, the Supreme Court now firmly swings to the right. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for the latest and what's next, the midterm elections. Next, it seems like we get a new 5G announcement every week, the latest being that Verizon recently launched home 5G service in selected areas. People are looking to 5G to usher us into the next era of tech, autonomous vehicles, smart homes, virtual and augmented reality. But the question is, will it live up to the hype and when can we expect it? Kim Hart, managing editor for Axios, joins us to talk about why we will still be living in a 4G world for a little bit longer. Finally, the economy continues to boom and you need a job. There's just one thing you need to be aware of, the robots. Robots powered with artificial intelligence are reading your resumes and deciding whether you make it to the next level. Jill Cornfield, personal finance writer for CNBC, joins us for tips on knowing how these AI and algorithms work, then tailoring your resumes to your advantage. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. When he came back with such a forceful denial and then the lack of corroboration led me back to the fundamental issues that are fundamental to our legal system, a presumption of innocence. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Well, we finally got through it. We do have a new Supreme Court Justice. Brett Kavanaugh was voted in on Saturday, 50 to 48. Let's start with how we got there. On Friday, Susan Collins indicated to some of her colleagues that she was going to vote yes. And then she went onto the floor and gave a 45 minute speech about why she chose to vote in favor of Brett Kavanaugh. And I thought it was a very well researched speech. You know, she gave a lot of things to the Democrats saying he is within the mainstream of judicial thought. And, you know, he's not going to overturn these things. These are all legal precedents with Roe versus Wade and things like that. And she even compared him to Merrick Garland, saying that they agreed in a lot of legal thought like 96 percent of the time. And she really let everybody know, look, he's not crazy. You're innocent until proven guilty. And he was not proven guilty with all the stuff that happened with Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. And that's why she said she was going to vote for him. That's right. She gave a lengthy speech in which she explained her reasoning for backing his candidacy. As a pro-choice Republican, she had been pressured quite a good deal because of the argument that he would overturn Roe v. Wade. And we had heard her say this before, and she said it again on Friday, arguing that his respect for precedent would mean that he would respect that Roe v. Wade had been the standing precedent for a number of decades now, and that it is incredibly difficult to overturn long-standing precedent. She also talked about the allegations saying one had to be proven guilty, that he had not been proven guilty. She made additional remarks on Sunday morning saying that she believed that Christine Blasey Ford had been the victim of an assault and suggesting that it might have just been a different man and not Brett Kavanaugh. Roundly, everybody still says that Christine Blasey Ford was very credible 
and they did believe her. And even Susan Collins said when she went through her speech, she said, even your best friend, Leland Kaiser, who you said was at the party, says she wasn't there. She doesn't know. Nobody knows who drove you home. So all those things led that led her to believe, at least, that Brett Kavanaugh did not do these things. And that's why she voted in favor. And then immediately, though, you see the divide that has occurred. I think Joe Manchin was on CNN. He was talking to reporters and you just hear protesters in the background, Game of Thrones style, shouting, shame, shame, shame. It's difficult to hear him. He can't even talk. And that's where we're at right now. Everybody is on all sides of this thing and nobody agrees on it. We saw protesters in the chamber as the vote was taking place on Saturday. Vice President Pence, who was presiding over the Senate at the time, kept stopping the voting process, asking the sergeant at arms to remove protesters. There might not be a better way to summarize the anger and the division. These sort of quiet, sedate members of the Senate are voting while the anger in the gallery. We also saw Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell get on Fox News. And really almost gleeful when these protests, he was smiling. He said he wanted to thank Democrats, that the anger that he was seeing from protesters was, in fact, making his own base more inclined to want to turn out and vote and that he saw it as a political win for him. That leads us to this coming week. Tuesday, Brett Kavanaugh should be at the bench hearing some new cases. What is he going to be expecting in his first few days? He was sworn in almost immediately within hours on Saturday afternoon so that he could begin to access the information and the services that are available to a United States Supreme Court justice. He will take the bench likely on Tuesday. The court is out on Monday for the Columbus Day holiday, but they will start hearing cases later in the week, at which point we will begin to examine what not the nominee Brett Kavanaugh looks like, but the justice Brett Kavanaugh. What kind of questions does he ask? How does he engage? What does he say during oral debate? And and that'll be a, a real learning period for his other justices, for himself and for the public. Everybody was very concerned about this, at least on the left, because Brett Kavanaugh was going to push the court further to the right. A huge win for the president in this respect. He has cemented that conservative majority there for I mean, years and years and years now. And this all leads us up into the midterms. This is the next big thing to turn our attention to. And how do you think this is all going to play out? Because the base is fired up again. They're saying Democrats, who knows where they're at now? Well, the argument that we're hearing from the right is that this has fired up their base and that you couldn't have made the left any more angry. They were already at max capacity. And so now maybe they'll pull even and they'll push back at some of what was expected to be a sort of liberal wave in the November elections. That may be true. That may be a bit of wishful thinking. We're going to have to see how that actually plays out. We do know in some polls that conservatives are saying, particularly very partisan ones, that they are now more inclined to vote. We also know from some liberal groups that I've spoken to, that they're seeing more volunteers, they're seeing more turnout at their events in the last couple of weeks. This is so close to an election. You can often point back and say, oh, this thing or that thing may have influenced, but with the election a month away, it will undoubtedly influence this vote. And it will be something that Mitch McConnell said on Sunday that they plan to be talking about. They plan to be on the campaign trail discussing this nomination because they think it helps Republicans and have no doubt Democrats are going to be talking about it because they think it really riles up their voters. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're still a ways off, probably several years before a lot of average consumers really have 
devices that are able to be doing the kinds of applications that are being promised by 5G experts. Joining us now is Kim Hart, Managing Editor for Axios. There seems to be a new 5G announcement just about every week. The latest one was Verizon launching their 5G home internet service in limited areas. It was going to be in Houston, Indianapolis, Los Angeles, and Sacramento. I keep seeing a lot of great things about 5G, and I keep seeing a lot of stuff that makes you say, well, this is going to take forever to actually roll out. So what's the hype, and then what should we be tempering our expectations for 5G? <laughs> That's a very good question. Uh, 5G has definitely been riding the hype wave over the past year. A lot of telecom companies are making huge bets in this technology because it is the next generation of wireless service. And they all know that they kind of have to be on board in order to make sure that they are giving their customers the next greatest thing when it comes to wireless service as everything that we do becomes more mobile and less tethered to a cord, if you will. However, it is going to take some time for the 5G that we hear about of the future to actually actually come to fruition. What Verizon launched yesterday is, in fact, the first piece of the 5G network that they're building out, and it is going to deliver higher speeds and lower latency and all of the, some of the benefits that you hear about, but it's not going to be the exact mobile 5G networks that we're thinking about of the future, That's going, things that are going to power autonomous cars right. and remote surgery and augmented reality and things like that. What Verizon is announcing is basically going to be a home broadband solution. So it's going to be a replacement for the internet service from your cable or phone company. So it's a step in towards in the direction of 5G, but we're still a ways off, probably several years before a lot of average consumers really have devices that are able to be doing the kinds of applications that are being promised by 5G experts. I always love the fights between CEOs on Twitter and specifically <laughs> with the Verizon thing. Uh, the CEO of T-Mobile tweeted out, it's great to be first, but Verizon's not using global industry standards, and they're not going to cover whole blocks with their 5G service, and he was just kind of being down on the idea. And it's kind of true. Verizon is launching a version of 5G called 5G TF. The standard that everybody's eventually going to be going to is called 5G NR, and Verizon's very upfront about it. They, they want to test it out. They want to start rolling it out. And they're planning on changing their technology once the industry standards catch up and everybody will eventually go to this 5G NR. But as you were saying, it's going to be years before this is really for the everyday consumer till we're picking up our cell phones and you notice in the top corner it says 5G instead of 4G or LTE or something like that. Who are going to be the first early adopters of this technology then? One thing that's important to point out about the T-Mobile Verizon dynamic is that they both operate, they're both big wireless providers and have a lot of subscribers on the wireless side. But unlike T-Mobile, Verizon does already have a, a fiber product. So it does provide broadband to the home and um, other services in, in addition to what T-Mobile does. So I think what Verizon is doing is saying, we're going to leverage a piece of the market that we have that's unique to us. And we have made this big commitment to 5G and we're going to test it, like you said, with the standards that are available and with the technology that is available to see what works and to help consumers get used to what 5G could be. It's kind of seeding the market, if you will. T-Mobile is making a big bet, but T-Mobile is also in this proposed merger with Sprint. And they have Sprint and T-Mobile are both going at this on their own, but also say that together they'll be able to tackle the 5G market in a bigger, more aggressive way. So I think underneath the statements from the CEOs is just kind of the market realities for those two companies. Going back to your question about what the use cases are going to be, I think that a lot of people are expecting that it's not always... It's 
not actually going to be the super sexy stuff that you hear about that, you know, augmented reality and self-driving cars. It's going to be some kind of things that you don't really think about as consumers. A lot of industrial users or companies might use this to provide service in smaller areas like on ports or to try to power sensors along a railroad to be able to remotely monitor something. So these are things that consumers are probably not going to be super aware of, really, because it's not things that they use on a daily basis or see. But it will be early test cases to help test the technology, see how it works, and also provide some more demand from certain users in order to create a incentive for the wireless companies to continue to build out their networks. It's just the subject of so much hype right now, and it's easy to overestimate you know, what this transformation is going to be in the near term. That's why we're kind of tempering expectations here. It's just as easy to underestimate what the impact is going to be over the course of many years when we do finally get those autonomous vehicles and smart homes and everything's connected through internet. And it takes us into that kind of next technological era. But it's important because the companies and developers need to get on board with it now so they can start developing those things. And as the years come, then we have all that cool stuff that everybody's promising with 5G. Right. I think that the important thing that I keep in mind here, too, is that while people are making predictions about 5G, we don't really know what kind of a platform it will be for new applications. There were, Once the, the technology becomes a reality, then developers and people much smarter than me who have kind of the, the, the vision of the future can take advantage of it and build new products and new applications and new services on top of that that we would never in our current environment today be able to predict. Just like when, you know, in the early days of 4G, it was faster service. But right. we didn't really predict how much it would enable us to all go wireless. I think it's a little bit of hype, but it's also impossible to know. I think that everyone agrees that 5G with the amount of speed and the amount of latency that it provides and the benefits of that over today's networks can do probably pretty impressive things. It's just really hard to know where that will take us in five years, let alone 10 years. Right. Kim Hart, Managing Editor for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. You know, it sounds so sci-fi, it sounds so magical, but I think it's really not. So a lot of it is common sense, and you have to just put yourself in front of the robot, if you will, in a way that the robot will understand. Joining us now is Jill Cornfield, personal finance writer for CNBC. So we're going to be talking about resumes and how robots are starting to read your resumes more and more. You know, the job market is so hot right now, there's more jobs than there are workers. So you have to be really smart to be attractive to that employer to get to the top of the list so you can get that interview and then get that job. But increasingly, uh, companies are using AI and algorithms to kind of sift through all the you know various applications they're going to get. What are we looking for when making a new resume that might get read by a robot? You know, it sounds so sci-fi, it sounds so magical, but I think it's really not. So a lot of it is common sense, and you have to just put yourself in front of the robot, if you will, in a way that the robot will understand. You need to use the right format. Don't use a JPEG or a Photoshopped image of some wonderful layout. You need to use a text editor and a very, you know, a common one, a modern one. You need to spell everything right, and you need to have some numbers, if possible, for the robot to crunch on. They really like that. Yeah, it's all about knowing how the algorithms that these companies are using, how those algorithms work, and then tailoring your resume to that. The first question I have is, how do we know when you're applying somewhere if you're more likely to have an AI and algorithms go through your resume or if somebody like a human being, a real person is actually going to see it? Short answer is you 
don't. But I think you can almost bet, especially if the company is uh, over 50 or 100 employees, that it will be some software that's scanning first as a preview so that they can sort through and find the really common things before they pass it on to a person or, or just dump it. I do operations for one of our stations, iHeart stations, and uh, just recently we actually had to hire a few new people. The way our system works is it just kind of gets submitted online for the most part, but it just comes up in the queue and we have to go through each person and vet them just by looking at it. But it was very interesting seeing all the different kinds of resumes that come in. And as a lot of stuff that I noticed in your article holds true on how to be attractive to whether it's an AI or an actual person. So let's start there. Cover letters still are very important. I think they are. And I think most people in HR will certainly tell you they are. And that's just to get a little personality in there more so than a list of accomplishments and education to get a sense of who the person is a little bit more. Absolutely. I mean, even if somebody doesn't ask you to submit a cover letter, I think it's a great idea to have one anyway because it's a way to make yourself stand out. As somebody I talked to, the uh, Ian Siegel from ZipRecruiter had said, every cover letter should include that magic sentence. I'm so excited to apply for this job because, and then, you know, you tailor that to the job and your qualifications. Part of what the algorithms are looking for, you should be straightforward, take out broad descriptions and be very specific with experience that you have. Yeah, I, I gave an example in the story about how, you you know, you don't say you're a sound engineer with broad experience of many years. How many years? Look at the job ad. If they mention that it's Avid Pro Tools, then you mention the software they're looking for. This one, obviously... And I see this in a lot. Spelling definitely counts. Um, make sure you're looking over your resume a couple times because if you are misspelling stuff and you do have big grammatical errors, there's a lot of writing that goes on a lot of different jobs. And that's one of the things that you don't want uh, right away. Yeah, you really don't. I mean, if you can't spell, definitely use a spell checker. Some people really like software that checks grammar. I would recommend that people have a friend or somebody who you know is good skills in this area. Read your resume for mistakes or inconsistencies. Like, you know, there are small things. Should you have a period at the end of each section in your resume or not? But, you know, be consistent throughout. Yeah, and the algorithms will flag that stuff immediately and often discard those right away. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what. I know someone whose resume had an extra space in it, which just happened to jump out at this really sharp-eyed oh, wow. person. So, I mean, I'll be honest, I really don't think a robot would catch that. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah. But maybe that's one chance where you might have a better chance with a robot. <laughs> I had a resume come in that looked like a ransom note where it had a ton of all caps words, just whole sections of all caps and, you know, like a lot of exclamation points and things like that. And oh, definitely that was mean, one of the... One of the ones so not that, intentionally. Do you mean it wasn't intentionally done like that? I, I have no clue. It just looked weird. It caught my eye and almost wanted to bring the person in just to see who that person uh, was. But no, I mean, that was one of the, the resumes that you have to toss right away. Uh, one of the next ones. Okay, so this is the one that I was very curious about because there's a lot of modern formats and innovative column dissections that a lot of people use on their resumes just to stand out and look really cool. You want to have an up-to-date format, but you don't want to use pictures and things like that, things that the algorithms won't be able to take away anything from. You know, I think that's up to you. I mean, some people have nice layouts. I think as long as the text itself is in a text format that the robot can extract information from, I think that's fine. Putting images on a resume, it's going to depend on your industry. If you're a graphic designer, maybe you do need some images. But anything that's informational with your qualifications, your background, your education, that has got to be through text. Right. Whether PDF or a, you know, whatever text-based editor. Jill Cornfield, personal finance writer for CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us. 
Thank you so much, Oscar. Have a great day. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.